0: Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free.
1: Listener supported WNYC Studios.
2: Hey, it's Manouche, and this is New Tech City. And a couple weeks back, we did a show that pretty much bashed the cable and wireless industry. They don't have to make sure that people can continue to communicate, they're just doing what makes sense for their profit motives. We talked about why politics has everything to do with bandwidth, what steps cities are taking to protect their networks in case of disaster. Hell, we even talked to two brothers who decided to buck the system and become, just the two of them, internet providers for an entire New York City neighborhood.
3: Yeah, it was a lot harder than I thought. Yeah, we've gone through a lot of drill bits.
2: So while we delved deep into the technical side of connectivity on that episode, this week we want to get to the human side. What it means when you don't have access to the internet, what it means when you could have access but just decide not to log on, And what you can personally do to help other people reach life on the web. As in, should you open your Wi-Fi to everyone? Well, we've got a guide for you.
3: You know, it's silly to have a password for my Wi-Fi. I don't make anybody sign in before having water or using my electricity.
2: So I want to start with my own equation for measuring access. Call me bourgeois, call me lame. It's my Starbucks equation. Whether it delights or nauseates you, Starbucks offers coffee, a bathroom, and Wi-Fi, all in the same place. And there are over 200 locations in Manhattan. I mean, from here where I'm sitting in Soho alone, I think I could walk to about half of them without breaking a sweat. But in the Bronx, there are six. I'm not saying that the Bronx needs more Starbucks, but I'm using this comparison to point out the lack of convenience there. And this is where I'm going to bring in reporter Elisa Roth. Hi, Elisa. Hi, Manish. So you're back from a day in a Wi-Fi van that drives around New York City from one public housing development to another. That's right. I went to the Bronx.
4: Now, it's probably obvious if we're talking about public housing, which is what we're going to do in a minute. But this is one of the poorest congressional districts in the country. Anyway, I spent the day in the van outside a development called the Morris Houses.
2: And, you know, Elisa, maybe we should point out here to our listeners that you and I, we are two white chicks because I do think point of view should not be disregarded with a story like this. It's true. I think probably the bigger point here is that
4: most of the people who live in this area are people of color. Somebody actually came up to me while I was standing on the street in the Bronx and asked if I was lost because that's how much I stood out. But you weren't lost, right, Elisa? You did find the van. I did find the van. (laughs) The idea of the van – well, actually, there are two vans – is that if you can't get to the internet, the internet will come to you. So let me introduce you to someone who's actually a lot more helpful than most of the baristas I've ever met in Starbucks. Stop what you know, start with your most recent You shouldn't believe Bernie Williams when he tells you what he does for a
5: living. Okay, my name's Bernard Williams. Uh, I'm a motor vehicle operator for the New York City Housing Authority.
4: He's not lying about being a driver. It's just that he's much more than that. Job counselor.
5: McDonald's is hiring the one on Third Avenue in East. 149th. I just spoke to the manager this morning, so anybody that want to fill out applications can do it online for that McDonald's. Mentor. Good morning. It's cold. It's cold. Listen, stop right there, say good after afternoon, day. sign the pad. Caretaker. And I usually get started about 7.30 in the morning, clean the vehicle, make sure everything is re- operational for the beginning of the day.
4: Then again, this van is supposed to be a rolling internet cafe. And it is the same way Bernie Williams is just a driver. He and Joshua Stevenson, who goes by the unassuming title of IT consultant, staff one of the New York City Housing Authority's digital vans. Technically, it is a mobile computer lab, but the way it works, it's much more like a mobile community center. So you've got, what, eight Eight stations here? PC laptops? laptops. These
1: are our two Jetpack MiFis. Uh... It has 10 stations on each of my five so basically we have four on each, and then we have the available slots for people when they come to want to connect their mobile devices to the network. And we also have a printer scanner right here. So basically, if people need to come in, we've had that too, where people need to come in and make copies, and we have that available to them as well.
4: Something like 40% of the people who live in public housing in New York don't have broadband at home. So the city got a grant to outfit two vans, which circulate in two-week cycles among 18 public housing developments in the city. The day I was in the Bronx, nobody showed up for a while. Then around 11, it started. Brent Hamilton, Brandon Smith, and Christine Harden are looking for work. I want to make a resume. Stevenson, the IT tech, explains that applying for jobs is one of those things you really need Internet access for even for low-skill, low-wage jobs like retail or stocking, where you used to be able to just walk in and get hired.
1: Basically, the majority of jobs you have to apply for online, and then a lot of the jobs afterwards you have to find an application for if they don't if the store itself doesn't offer it. They'll, they'll go to the store and they'll tell you, oh, go to our website and print out an application and come back and hand it in. And then also with the resumes, you know, like, yeah, you can mail your resume through email online.
4: Now... To be clear, it's not that everybody here is completely without Internet access. A lot of them are like Brandon Smith. My phone is my computer. The van helps the old-fashioned way, too, by networking and word of mouth. Williams, the driver, keeps a bulletin board at the front where he posts information about training programs, classes, and jobs. Most of the people I met were looking for jobs, but people come here to do all the things people do on the Internet. Candido Maldonado has Internet on his phone, but no computer.
1: Uh, I'm here to try to set up. I don't pay for my rent. Right now I'm paying through the cashier. It cost me $5, but to some places charge $2.50 But the one that I go. So online is only $0.30. Cents.
4: Stevenson, the tech person, says some people go online shopping.
1: This guy actually comes to us for his razor blades. There's a specific kind of razor that he has where you can't get the blades in the store, and he doesn't have internet access, so he knows to come by and order his blades through Amazon here, print out his order sheet and all of that, and he'll be on his way.
4: It's hard to know how connected people who live in public housing really are, because the stats don't take into account how many people can access the internet on their phones, or how many wouldn't be on the internet anyway, like some of the elderly, for example. And just about everybody I talked to said they had a computer at home, or even a computer with Internet access. Sometimes the computers are broken. Somebody else I talked to said the Internet had been cut off. And for other people, there are just too many people using that one computer. I also wondered if computers have become so ubiquitous that it would be almost shameful to admit not having one. But what is clear is that if you don't have access at home, this neighborhood, and neighborhoods like it, don't offer a lot of other options. This is the kind of place where the candy bars are kept behind plexiglass at the bodega, so it's not surprising it doesn't offer free Wi-Fi. Yeah, we was about to go to the library. Really? I'll just go to the library. That's cool. The library is cool. But the library's hours are limited, and you can only use the computer there for a half hour at a time. Ayara Carter has another source for Wi-Fi.
5: McDonald's. <laughs> yes, chicken nuggets and Wi-Fi. <laughs>
4: McDonald's isn't a long term solution. It's also not clear to me that the mobile vans are. Six hours once every two weeks isn't very often. Then again, the day I was there, only about 30 people came. Williams, the driver, says sometimes they may get as many as 40. Stevenson, the IT guy, says it's not exactly about the numbers.
1: We get about five people who came one day and they all were looking for jobs and they all were printing out resumes. Then, you know, it might have well been a good day anyway, you know.
4: After 3 p.m., the demographic changes from job seekers to kids. Williams, the driver turned father figure scoutmaster, is in his element here like when Genoa, a skinny eighth grader, tells him his football team is going to play a championship game in Syracuse, and he takes the opportunity to make a subtle plug for college.
5: Oh, y'all going to the championship? You you y'all going to play in the Carrier Dome? Huh? They have it online if you want to um see it, if you want to actually see it. I never saw it. Okay. That's a good college to go to.
4: Williams always takes a low-key approach to the kids.
5: You know, if you can come play a game, a little relaxation, I don't see nothing wrong with that, It's their happiness that I'm more concerned with.
4: Whatever the kids are looking at, the van offers a safe, clean, quiet place for them. In a world that often isn't any of those things. Natasha is 10.
5: Sometimes I do my homework and
2: play
4: games. What are you looking at now? You got YouTube?
2: Yeah, gummy bear, gum style. Oh my God, Alisa, she sounds freaking adorable. She was. Alisa, thanks so much for taking us with you to the Bronx. You're welcome. Okay. So there's a new podcast here at WNYC. It's on the media's TLDR. And these guys are total digital nerds and they're actually really funny too. Oh, and TLDR, by the way, if you didn't know, that stands for too long, didn't read. Anyway, we just loved a story that they did about hunting down a unicorn, someone who had never been on the internet before. And since it kind of fit in perfectly with our show about access, we thought it was a great chance to introduce you to the TLDR team. Alex Goldman and PJ Vote. Alex is the first voice you hear.
6: I have just returned from an epic quest. What were you questing after? I was questing after a unicorn of sorts. I wanted to find a person who doesn't use the Internet. I read this Pew study. That said that 15% of American adults don't use the Internet. That's actually a ton of people. Yeah, it's actually millions of people, Huh? which is crazy. But then if you actually dig down into the numbers, it kind of makes sense. It's generally people who are over 65, who are low income, or come from sort of a rural area. However, I sort of wondered if there was someone like that in the city who is maybe middle-aged or younger, who was middle class, and just kind of never plugged in.
1: Right. Somebody, somebody who didn't use the Internet, not because they couldn't, but because they just, like, didn't see the point.
6: Yeah. And uh, I found them. Really? Yeah. How do, you, how do you find somebody who doesn't use the Internet? What do you use? Embarrassingly, I use the Internet. I sent an email to the entire radio station, and mm. I got an email back pretty quick about a guy named Mike.
1: How were you picturing him?
6: I imagine him being kind of obnoxiously wealthy, living in a brownstone, wearing a tweed blazer, smoking a pipe, railing against how technology is corroding the society. Wait, you imagine him super rich? Yeah, I imagine him being so highfalutin that he couldn't be bothered with email.
1: Like he, he listens to everything on wax cylinders and, like, sends his friends golden telegrams?
6: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so what's he like? Uh, my name is Mike Halakias. I own a restaurant in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Little diner.
6: He was a really nice... 50-something guy. He moved here from Montreal. He loves Led Zeppelin. He has a mural of the band painted on the back of his diner. And he just owns a business where he never had to use a computer.
0: Everything is cash for me. I have a cash business. Cash goes into the register. I pay cash everything.
6: Also, it doesn't hurt that he's about the nicest person in the world. People seem to really want to do him favors anytime he needs to use the Internet.
0: If I needed Internet, I would always find a friend that... um, ask him favors, and they do me anything I want. Find me a Raider jersey, find me a Montreal Canadiens jersey, find me a ticket, even a date, anything, anything I want, people do it for me.
6: Also, there's this. And
0: in return, I do them other favors, like give them food. When I need something faxed, I go across the street to the fax place, and, of course, I give them a sandwich, they fax my stuff, everything is great. So you founded your unicorn.
6: Does he know about the things that he could be able to do and isn't doing? Actually, in spite of my assumptions that he would be proud not to use the Internet and find it to be a distasteful accoutrement of modern society, (laughs) he was really embarrassed that he doesn't use it. My six-year-old nephew,
0: he knows more about the computer than I. I. He knows how to get in. He knows how to play his music. He knows how to play his cartoons. He knows how to play his games. I have no idea how to do that. I feel stupid. That's
6: what it is. And I don't want to feel stupid anymore. So did you help him? Well, I asked him to come down to the station and sit down in front of a computer with me so I could just sort of see what he was interested in and see if I could direct him toward all the wonderful things on the Internet that he would like. The sort of breakthrough moment wasn't from me at all. My colleague Chris Neary was in the studio recording with us, and they're both sort of diehard sports fans. I was just thinking, how did you end up as a Raiders fan coming from Montreal? Yeah,
0: in, a, in Montreal in the early 70s, they showed the three winning teams in the NFL. Uh, The Raiders, the Cowboys, and uh, the Steelers. Well, I had to be a a man, (laughs) so I chose the Raiders.
6: (laughs) If you could see a play, like is there someone you would want to see old video of? In
0: 1983, the Super Bowl, the Raiders crushed the Redskins, and I made a ton of money in college, I mean a ton.
6: Okay, so let's see if we can not find some highlights from it. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. This brings back so many memories. I could stay home and watch this all day. You know that? Oh, boy. Wow. Oh, he's gone. Oh, my God.
6: Wow. He's gone. I remember, like, I'm watching this last night. So at this point, you guys are still... He's, like, sitting there watching you guys use the computer. Yeah. I decided to offer him the driver's seat because he is starting to take sort of plaintive steps into... Internet literacy, and mm. I wanted to give him an opportunity to sort of show me what he can do. You just move this. Oh, you You move the whole mouse. Oh, you oh, the whole mouse moves. Okay, cool. And now I can click and pull down? Yeah. Click, and then I, I scroll down, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like he's having kind of a hard time. He is. In fact, he was actually holding the mouse at this point with both hands, and I think that he was used to having a trackball and didn't understand that you actually had to move the whole object to get the cursor to move. But the surprising thing was that he didn't really know how to search Google. If you go ahead and take this and move it up to right here. Okay. And you can search any word you want. So you can type in plane tickets Montreal. Wow. Wow. And then you press enter, and it'll show you.
0: I'm so amazed I can't tell you right now.
6: So if you wanted to search for literally anything... How about John Bonham? Mm -hmm. This is the Wikipedia entry. Do you know what Wikipedia is? Mm -mm. So Wikipedia is like the Encyclopedia Britannica, but it's on the internet. Things that you
0: take for granted are so eye-opening for me right now.
6: I think in the end he sees the internet the same way I do, as sort of like an engine for discovery. And uh, I guess I'm a little jealous of him because I have it at my disposal whenever I want. And in a way... I've discovered a lot of the things that were amazing to me. Mm -hmm. He's going to get to see all of that stuff for the first time. So I guess I'm jealous of that lack of experience.
0: You know, I'm excited to find whatever I'm looking for about myself. And you know, sometimes when you're looking for one thing, you find another. So I'm really excited. I'm going to look for music that I think I've heard it all, but there's always something that I've, I've missed. Right now, there's going to be no missing. I'll be on the computer all night if I have to be.
2: And it's Manoush here again. I just want to share with you two comments that were left on TLDR's website after this story was posted. Will Tomlinson from Houston wrote that he really liked this story for its, quote, positive depiction of what the Internet has to offer. But Breakmaster Cylinder wasn't as psyched. He, or she, wrote that this guy will never stop watching 80s Super Bowl highlights. The days will slip into weeks. I hope you can live with yourselves. Find all the TLDR comments on their website, on themedia.org slash TLDR. Cat goes
6: meow, bird goes tweet, and mouse goes squeak.
0: Cow goes moo, the frog goes croak, and the elephant goes toot. But there's one sound that no one
6: knows. What does the fox say?
2: Okay, so that was a unicorn, someone who has never been on the Internet. But I think of myself as more of a chicken, constantly pecking and grazing away online and getting my feathers majorly ruffled if I can't. And face it, most of you are in my flock. We expect to use the Internet for the most basic task, and we feel bereft when we can't get a signal. But what about giving a signal? Well, there's a debate going on about whether people should continue to password protect their Wi-Fi at home or get rid of the password and just open up their Wi-Fi to the world in the name of neighborly love. To open or not to open your Wi-Fi? That is the question for Brian Hall. He writes about tech, and one of his blog posts on ReadWriteWeb caught my eye. It's called Take My Wi-Fi, Please. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. So, Brian, tell me what, what, how would you classify your family as heavy Wi-Fi users, sort of Wi-Fi dabblers, or just, you know, the occasional Wi-Fi shot?
3: Oh, oh, very heavy on Wi-Fi. Probably we would have to give up television, radio, newspapers, and magazines before (laughs) (laughs) Wi-Fi.
2: Okay, so I want to... You know, it, it sounds like you probably should be pretty protective of your Wi-Fi because you need it, but tell me about that day when you decided to get rid of the password on your Wi-Fi.
3: Well, there had been several things leading up to that. Whenever I have someone come over, almost the very first question is, what's your Wi-Fi password? <laughs> and my parents have a, um, uh, recently purchased an iPad, and th- the password had been generated And it had, you know, like an exclamation point, capital letters. And my mother kept inputting it and kept getting it wrong. And finally I said, just give it to me. And I think that, though, was the moment when I thought, you know, it's silly to have have a password for my Wi-Fi. I I, I don't make anybody sign in before having water or using my electricity. Wi-Fi is almost a utility in our house.
2: But the difference is that when somebody comes to use the bathroom or water, you, you probably know them, or at least you've sort of vetted them. But when you open your Wi-Fi to your household, you're also opening it up to people walking by, to your neighbors, to people you don't
3: know. That is true. While there are routers, it's not easy. There are routers that you can partition and have your stuff behind uh, uh, one side of the partition and, and guess the other. Ours is now open. And I live in a residential neighborhood. Um, The Wi-Fi signal probably extends around 50 feet around my house. So there are neighbors or any passersby who, in theory, could access the Wi-Fi. When I looked into the security issues, however, it it just didn't seem uh, that bothersome. There uh, There was almost no downside to it as far as a security issue.
2: I thought it was like if, let's say, I was using my Wi-Fi and I went onto my bank account and I was doing stuff on my bank account, that somebody would be able to hack into it online just by getting on my Wi-Fi. Is that not true?
3: Your Your information is encrypted when you go online with sites such as your banking site. I don't want to underplay it, but it, it's so far down the line of security concerns to be, in my opinion, almost irrelevant.
2: Okay. All right. So... Here's what I want to do now. I'm going to throw you some scenarios at you, sort of rapid fire, and you just give me a yes or no answer as to whether or not they should open their Wi-Fi. Are you ready? Sure, I'll try. Okay. What if you live in a dense city like New York, and you have dozens of neighbors who might just watch Arrested Development in HD all day long? Open your Wi-Fi or not? Yes. What if you do lots of online banking from your home computer? Yes. What if you live above a Starbucks where there are lots of college kids hanging out with all their new MacBooks? No. What if you have kids and you want to protect what they surf on the web? Yes. What if your Netflix is already taking forever to buffer? No. What if you're cheating on your wife and you think a private investigator might be on your tail? (laughs) No. What if you're a spy? Oh, he's taking a long time to think about this one. What if you're a spy? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yes.
3: Okay. I mean, why, 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 make it, um, why make it harder for them to find out or why draw attention to yourself? I think if you do everything in the open, you're probably safer.
2: Awesome. Okay. So just getting silly here. Tell us one person that you know who should not open their Wi-Fi.
3: John Boehner.
2: (laughs) Brian Hall, thank you so much. Thank you. Brian Hall's writings on smartphones and mobile technology appear in places like The Wall Street Journal, Tech Pinions, and The Push. Okay, so if Brian didn't give you total clarity on whether or not to open your Wi-Fi... We have a flow chart, yes, a flow chart to help you decide if you should open up your Wi-Fi to the world or if you're just better off hiding behind a series of random numbers and letters. Go to NewTechCity.org and let us know what you decide. And if you've already done it, tell us if the sky fell or humble brag a little bit in the comments section of this story. But meanwhile, I really hope you enjoyed connecting with me on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to New Tech City.